Hello and welcome to episode 34 of When Life Gives You Lemons, Go Vegan. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and in this podcast, I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. Recovery from diseases such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and so many more. I also interview doctors, nutritionists, and other experts in plant-based eating and healing. And this week, I was lucky enough to interview Dr. Anthony Hodge who is a plant-based GP from Melbourne and the creator of the Living Longer Today health plan. Since 2013, he has increasingly researched and integrated whole food plant-based medicine into his own life and now actively promotes the benefits of this diet to his patients on a daily basis. Inspired by doctors John McDougall, Neil Bernard and the late Nathan Pritikin, Anthony's hope is that everyone can learn to reap the benefits from delicious, abundant, wholesome foods and reduce the risk of chronic disease. In addition to his work as a doctor, he lectures on plant-based health to medical students at Monash University and is a regular volunteer with Edgar's Mission and Animal Sanctuary in Lancefield, Victoria. I highly recommend you go there and see all the gorgeous animals and meet Pam, the founder of Edgar's Mission, and hear her story, which I'm hoping to have on the show very soon because I, even though it's not necessarily a low-fat whole food plant-based Story is definitely a beautiful, touching story of a woman doing so much good in the world, helping rescue farmed animals and give them a wonderful, happy life, like pigs and lamb. Oh, my God, it's so cute. I haven't been there yet myself, but I cannot wait to go. So, yes, anyway, (laughs) off topic because I'm just going into my fangirling about Edgar's mission. Uh, If you haven't been, you should go. (laughs) But, yes, this week's episode is with Anthony Hodge. And I'm so excited for him to share his expertise with us. And he did, he just explains everything so well about why these foods heal us and why the other foods in a typical Australian or well, standard Australian diet um, harm our bodies in a way that makes so much sense and is so easy. This is the episode you want to show to your husband or your wife if they're not on board. This is the episode you want to show to your grandma, (laughs) you know, your aunts, your kids, whatever, because it's just really simple, clean, straightforward, no nonsense information. And I think it's so helpful. So yeah, I was really grateful to have Anthony come on the show. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you very much. Okay. Hello, Anthony, and welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Oh, well, it's great to have you. So I just wanted you to get started and tell us a bit about yourself and how you discovered this whole food plant-based way of eating. So I'm a plant-based GP and I work in Melbourne. Now, probably about some four or five years ago, my health wasn't actually too good. Uh, I was actually quite overweight and I was eating all the wrong foods. I was eating a very, very bad, typical Western diet, high saturated fat, lots of animal products. And I started to do my own kind of research into diet and nutrition. And that's when I came across people like John McDougall and Caldwell Esselstyn and Neil Bernard. And I took notice of these people because it impressed me that not only that they were fellow health professionals, but that they were also doing a lot of research and they had good science to back up what they were saying. So from about early 2015, I just made the switch overnight. I had always thought of myself as being uh, rather ethical and a lover of animals, but that wasn't sort of showcasing itself through my nutrition. So 
it seemed the best thing to do to change my diet and to incorporate the more vegan plant-based foods into it. And look, I had such a wonderful response. I lost approximately 45 kilos in weight. I regained so much energy and vitality. I slept better. My mood improved. And I knew at that point that what I had stumbled across was something so powerful as a tool to being able to uh, circumnavigate, say, the typical chronic diseases that we see in the Western world, and that is obesity, hypertension, high cholesterol, arthritis, and generalized functional decline. Um, I found that it was a tool that we needed to really utilize more and more. So I started incorporating it with my patients, and uh, it's, uh, it's had wonderful, wonderful uptake by so many people. Wow. That's obviously a big change as a GP to go from being an unhealthy GP to being one more focused on nutrition and the benefits of eating whole plant foods. How did your patients find that when, when you made that switch? It's been really surprising to see just how keen patients are to, to grasp onto anything they can. Because we have to remember, at least I do as doctors, we have to remember that uh, there is a, there's an obvious power imbalance when you're in the consult room. Patients feel very, for want of a better term, naked when they come into the room. They're completely uh, powerless to have any real control over their own health. Uh, we typically will use medications. We tell patients what to do, how to better themselves. And a lot of the time, people will leave the consult room uh, having to sort of follow a set of guidelines and rules, but having no real say in how they get to dictate their own health. So when you do offer people an opportunity to eat well, when you offer them uh, the potential to then lead their own way, to grow, to sort of navigate their own way through their health, people are really keen to do that. And nutrition is something that's such an attractive tool because we all love to eat. We all love to feel better. We all love to cook and eat great food. So it's not actually a demanding task for people to incorporate uh, a better sense of uh, uh, diet into their lifestyle. The other important uh, point here is that <clears throat> people generally don't get better with conventional medication. We have a, a <clears throat> excuse me, we have a stepwise guideline uh, that we follow in in health for chronic diseases like um, lung disease, diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure. And what we end up doing is we will start patients on a small amount of medication. Then they come back and see us six months later and they're doing slightly poorly. So we have to increase the medication and we have to increase this and increase that. And that's typically the pattern that people follow. So patients aren't obviously getting better or they're not curing themselves when they follow uh, the conventional uh, mainstream medical uh, protocols and conventional protocols aren't really designed to cure. They are designed to ameliorate some of the symptoms and signs that people have. It's designed to make figures look better. And in the acute setting, in the immediate time, it's important. It's important to lower your blood pressure. It's important to get the cholesterol down. But we also need to then ensure that this is an ongoing uh, result. And so when patients are then given a new option, diet and nutrition, uh, they're very open, they're very welcoming of this because they recognize that every couple of months their blood pressure tablets have to increase and their insulin doses have to go up. 
And so they will grasp the idea of having a new tool. So the uptake from patients has been really positive, And that's been showcased by seeing so many wonderful results. Yeah, I think that that's one of the, like, you've just kind of voiced my own kind of thoughts when I was first diagnosed with MS, as far as when you go into that doctor, for me, the neurologist's office, and you sit there and they're like, there's this drug. And I was just like, but but why do I have this disease? Why did my body do this? Why why is my body doing this? Like, why is this happening all of a sudden? I know that you have a a, a treatment that's going to perhaps quiet the disease, but it's still there. And I want to know what the underlying cause is and what I can do moving forward to heal, to heal from this. And what you were saying about the power imbalance was so true. And I think that's, I think that's, I think because I'm a youngest, I don't know what it is about me, but I really don't like people having over more power than me. Maybe it's older brothers oppressing me growing up, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, when he was in control and just saying, this is the only way forward, there's no science to diet, there's just eat whatever you want, there's nothing that you can do, this disease basically has has you and you can't do anything other than take this medication, you're out of, con- you're completely out of control and I have the solution to this thing that's taken over your whole body. I just felt, and I would have loved if he was like you and in there saying, give this a shot as well. Take that power back. And that's, you know, taking that power back, it just, as a human and as a person, we want to have autonomy over our bodies. You want to be in charge of our health. And so it's such an incredibly wonderful gift that you're giving your patients by giving them some of that power back over their health and over their bodies and saying, you know what, this this is this stuff works. And, and, And because you have the science to back you up, you know, you have a scientist's brain, you have the ability to navigate those studies and that research to give them the really best evidence-based information to help them take control of their own health. Well, look, I I am the older I'm the older brother of uh, two other siblings. I'm the eldest in my family, and I've got no doubt that my my younger sister and younger brother would definitely agree with you that there's <laughs> a a power imbalance in the family, uh, but we. I guess uh, I also hope that with a bit more wisdom and a bit more age, that I can mellow uh, in that fashion. Look, do you know it's it's a double-edged sword because what the medical students are learning today at university is an enormously more uh, set of data and volume than I did. I did medical school training many years ago now, yes. two thousand to two thousand and six, and. I I have seen a lot of the evidence and the science become just quite overwhelming. We we do need our doctors to be able to understand science, and we have such a small amount of time uh, that the medical students can actually be taught this. Don't want to be producing doctors that are on one hand know everything about nutrition, but then can't manage a lot of the general medical conditions. Absolutely, that's why we have the the a bit of the issue, and it's are actually going to be slightly more and more difficult to foresee nutrition playing a huge role in the medical curriculum because we just we do need our neurologists we yeah. need our specialists to be able to be aware of the latest interferon gamma mm. treatment we need our brain surgeons to know their surgery 110% mm. um and so we whilst we are very keen on seeing nutrition in the curriculum we have to accept the facts. Now, that's not to say that things won't change. With, with the hope 
of um, seeing more and more patients like yourself and other people telling their story, it will attract doctors like uh, myself and others to start incorporating it. But a lot of the lead still has to come from the public and the patients themselves, not to lose faith in talking to your medical and health professionals about this. You see, the the whole idea behind a lot of the chronic diseases, such as they said, the diabetes and type 2 diabetes, that is, high blood pressure, high cholesterol and obesity, it's food poisoning. There's no other better way to describe it. It's food poisoning. But it's not the type of food poisoning that we typically think of. It's not the tummy aches um, after the bad meal last night and the nausea and vomiting. This is food poisoning that is clandestine. It, it is very, very, very slow. It takes its time and it works itself over many, 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 many years. And that's why we often see people in their 30s and 40s and 50s coming forward with these chronic diseases. They don't have them when they're young. Mm. Most of them don't. They have them later on. But it's food poisoning. It's, and the body itself has a wonderful way of adapting to change. Uh, just like, for example, when we fall over and we cut ourselves, the body uh, begins a process of healing and adapts to that. Now, that's the same also with when we, uh, when we traumatize our body through some of the bad foods we eat. These are the animal products. Our body will adapt to it, but it can only adapt for so long. And so after many, many years of this food poisoning, the typical Western Australian-American diets of high saturated fat, animal products, dairy, when we eventually overwhelm our bodies, then that's when we start to see the disease process and it spills over into our results. So we hope that by incorporating a, a better nutrition program, just like the body can heal itself when you fall over and you graze your leg, then you can also hopefully re return to a better normalized state within you. Now, that's one of the best aspects of um, the human body. That's something that I love studying, and that is the ability to heal. The body never loses that ability to heal. Every single cell in your body has a blueprint. There's a little workman sitting there right now with a blueprint and has a very specific set of instructions on how to heal. Mm. So, for example, again, I use the example when you're seven years of age. We all were seven years of age. We all fell over outside, and when your brothers were being difficult with you, <laughs> and put, you grazed your, your leg. So many have times. Big, so many times. <laughs> big, big cut and a lot of graze. But then if you remember, three or four days later, it was almost completely healed. And then a week later, it's completely gone. You couldn't even see where you hurt yourself. That's because the body was able to repair itself. Every cell in the body can do that, except unfortunately, over time, those blueprints, those set of instructions become muddied. They become dirtied. And so the ability to be able to utilize them and heal is impaired. And the healing process never, ever actually reaches what it used to be. But the great news, the great news is that we know what really is impairing those instructions. It's our diet. It's what we eat. And as soon as you change your diet and we start flushing our body with the beautiful fresh fruits, the vegetables, the raw vegan foods, the plant-based foods, the starches, all the carbohydrates, the, the lentils, the chickpeas, the peas, those high-protein content foods, we start to repair and we start to actually clean up the cells. And this is why 
I'm able to see patients who are able to reverse their high blood pressure, reverse their type 2 diabetes. And of course, as their, their disease states improve, so too does my ability to be able to remove part of their medication regime. And it makes complete sense. You know, the science is so strong behind that. And so we hope, we hope that in, in time, more and more doctors will foresee that there's, a, there's an incredible need to use nutrition as a tool mm. with conventional medicine. Yeah, with, with, with. <laughs> I, I'm a conventional, um, somewhat orthodox scientist, GP, doctor. I'm 100,000 billion percent pro-vaccination. I will use medications every single day. I prescribe antibi- antibiotics. I am a strong believer in using medication because it works and I will follow guidelines that that's where the evidence and the science is. That's not to say that we still can't use the tools of nutrition. And so I'll never ever neglect modern medicine. And I certainly don't uh, believe that when someone comes in with, say, your condition, that it's just appropriate to dismiss some of the great medications we have. Because in your situation, Corrine, the medications that we're talking about here are designed to really dampen down the immune system and hopefully try and stop the immune system from attacking your nerve cells. Now, whilst we would love to be able to always say to you, yes, we have a, uh, a clear cause as to why you got MS. We know exactly what triggered it. We know exactly what is going on. It's also sometimes um, the case that with some patients and some other diseases, that we can't ever give you a clear answer. And I would imagine that that's quite disabling to be told that, well, we don't know what caused your MS. We don't know what caused uh, your arthritis and so forth in terms of talking about other patients. And yet we can still offer hope. We can still offer the opportunity to be there, to say to you, well, look, when you're not going to go through this alone. We will use medications that will hopefully improve your situation. And hopefully one day we can give you an answer. There's a wonderful, wonderful neurologist talking about neurology. There's a wonderful neurologist called Professor Elsden Story at the Alfred Hospital. Um, now, Elsden, I believe, no longer practices at the Alfred, but he uh, was my professor of neurology when I did a rotation there in 2006 over about a six to eight week period. And I, I, would, I would probably place it as being one of the most profoundly positive experiences I had as a medical student. And it was because of him. I, I saw such a true scientist at heart incorporating science into the public health arena. But he did it with such compassion. And I still remember, I still remember one day in the outpatients ward at the, at the Alfred Hospital, he said to a patient who had, who had epilepsy, he was reviewing them on an ongoing basis. He pulled out a journal paper and he said, well, look, this is now a, there's a new gene that we could test for. We've tried it uh, in your recent blood tests. And unfortunately, no, this still doesn't give us a clear cause as to why you have this condition. And he said, but don't worry, we'll just keep looking. We'll keep looking. And I, it's, it's stuck with me. It's stuck with me that we sometimes don't have all the answers so, yes, it, it's sad. It's sad, I can imagine, when we don't have a clear cause because we do like a cause and effect approach to life. If we have a problem, we want to know what the cause is so that we can then fix it and it doesn't happen again. So I, I sympathize, I empathize with you that it must be difficult. 
Yet we we do now recognize that that diet has a very, very strong cause for most of the modern diseases that we see. So I talked a bit before about you know, obesity, um, vascular disease, high blood pressure, strokes, and so forth. You know, there's a very good reason why eight-year-olds don't have strokes, why 15-year-old boys don't have heart attacks, uh, why we don't see type 2 diabetes in teenagers. Now, having said that, I must put a footnote on that comment and say, sadly, we are seeing type 2 diabetes in a younger population. But traditionally, we didn't see that because, it, again, the food poisoning was taking its time. It's, it was taking uh, a, a fair few decades to really do the damage. If we look at what 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 the typical Western diet contains, it contains saturated fat, it contains high cholesterol, and it contains a number of growth factors in the food. Plus, a lot of um, sometimes, you know, if we think about a slice of a slice of meat and flesh. It's containing nerve cells, it's containing white blood cells, red blood cells, a whole host of toxins and so forth in these foods. Our body incorporates that into its own uh, metabolism and we use a lot of those products to then uh, either build ourselves or we store them. Saturated fat is like giving the body a check for a billion dollars. The body is designed to survive. Uh, the body will do everything it can to survive. Now, when we give the body saturated fat, which is almost always exclusively found in animal products, we are giving the body a tremendously concentrated source of energy. And the body doesn't understand that we're now living in 2018. The body is designed to think, well, we could be in a famine tomorrow. We could be in a drought. It could be an ice age tomorrow on the tundra. And we have absolutely no access to any energy. Therefore, I will store this energy. And the body stores saturated fat very, very quickly and easily. The problem is that we no longer live in uh, 20, you know, in 2000 BC. We now live in 2018 where we have access to nutrition and we have access to very, very good sources of food. We don't need to utilize this effect. So when the body stores saturated fat, it has only really one place to store it. It stores it into cells. It stores it into fat cells that obviously are very visible as we gain weight. But then it also stores the saturated fat, the cholesterol. It stores it in the muscle cells and the vascular cells. Now, cholesterol is an important point to talk about because cholesterol is necessary. Cholesterol is a great thing. Uh, cholesterol is produced by the liver. And it's really the backbone of all the hormones that circulate around our body. Now, the hormones are like emails. They get sent from different organs and telling everyone what they're doing and what to do. Now, we want that. We want emails to be sent between all the different organs of our body. We want our thyroid to be communicating with all the different cells. And it does this by sending hormones. So your liver produces the hormones. But again, the liver and the body recognize that when we're giving it extra cholesterol, it says, well, this is a great thing because one day, you know, we might run out of it and we need cholesterol. I'm going to store it. And it stores cholesterol. And the, it stores it in our uh, tissues. It stores it in our muscles. Of course, it stores it in our vessels. And over time, this builds up. It clogs the cell. It clogs it 
And of course, I talked before about the idea of dirtying and muddying those blueprints for cellular repair. In a sense, you're clogging the cell. I think of a muscle cell, for example, like a, a normal bedroom. And you have all these different features in the bedroom. You have your bed, you have your closet, you have a computer, you have a clock. Everything is uh, is following a, a purpose. There's a reason for it. But when your brothers were making a, a mess of their rooms in the park <laughs> yeah. and uh, you, they were being told to clean up, they were being told to clean up because getting access to the room was difficult and you couldn't find things anymore and things would get lost. Well, the cell is absolutely no different. When we clog the cell and we start making it difficult for the cell to function, okay, there, of course, things go wrong. And the, the strongest, the strongest uh, uh, causation factor for the cell going wrong is our diet. And the great news, as I said before, is that as soon as three times a day you stop um, you stop making the room messy, you stop clogging the cell with fat, with uh, uh, triglycerides, with cholesterol, with byproducts, the body starts to repair it and the body will start to break down these excess um, energy uh, storage molecules. It'll start to clear it and people will see improvements. They'll see improvements in the way they feel they will see improvements in their quantitative and qualitative results. So the qualitative results, they will sleep better. They will feel happier. They will feel more energetic. They don't have as much joint pain. They don't sweat as much. They don't have headaches anymore. They don't get muscle aches. They, their digestion improves. Within a couple of days, their digestion feels better. In the quantitative aspect, their blood pressure results go down, their blood sugar, their fasting blood sugars go down, their cholesterol falls. We see these wonderful, wonderful results, and it all makes sense. If I couldn't explain it, I, I'd you know, be querying and saying, well, why is it happening? But the great news is that it's so logical. It just makes so much sense that if we start to eat better three times a day, then we see the improvements uh, dramatically. Uh, on my website, uh, livinglongertoday.com, I have a section on resources, and this contains a PDF uh, that I give patients, and it's there. The website's free. Everyone can go to it. Head over. They can, <laughs> they can, they can access um, uh, all my speeches. They can access that PDF and read it, and I talk about some of the what I call side effects of going vegan, going plant-based, and the side effects is, is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but we see, we see side effects. Uh, within, within one or two days, the side effects of this is that, again, you, your digestion improves, your energy levels rise, you sleep better. Uh, side effects at the, probably the two or three-week mark, you've lost about one or two kilos, and that just keeps going, going, and going. Um, they're horrible side effects. <laughs> they, they're very nasty side effects. I mean, you know, to think that we would lose weight and normalize oh our blood gosh. pressure. I know. I tell you what. <laughs> The other, the other thing I'll just say quickly about digestion mm, please. is that digestion is a, a problem that I would say almost up, upwards of 70 to 80% of people have because they will come and see me for a non-related condition and I'll ask them about digestion and they'll admit and acknowledge, yeah, yes, you know, the bowels are a bit loose and oh, sometimes it's constipated and oh, yeah, I often bloat after I have a meal and... 
I get a bit of reflux and they've never really been normal and, oh, they do annoy me, but, you know, it's just what it is. This is generally because of a lack of fiber. Fiber, which is carbohydrate. Fiber, which is used by a lot of the gut bacteria in our body to promote good health, uh, is often neglected out of the diet. And so as soon as people start eating more and more plant foods, which are so heavy in fiber, the body is able to utilize that fiber. It, the digestive tract is able to do what it does properly. It's able to absorb all the nutrients, make bulk, and ensure that the body washes and rids itself accordingly. It does this on a very, very good regular basis, and people feel better. They feel better because they don't have that grumbling, one out of 10 tummy pain. We don't often see people rolling around in the streets in pain, but if you ask them, have you got a little bit of pain at the moment? They'd say, yeah, look, my tummy's just always a bit off, but I just grin and bear it and I put up with it. Mm. A lot of people listening to this will, will acknowledge that. Yeah. And they'll say, yeah, my tummy's always a bit off. But when they're able to actually start getting more and more high-fiber foods into their diet, you feel remarkable. And in fact, an interesting point is that um, a lot of the, what we call happy hormone, the serotonin, the happy hormone in our body that goes to our brain and makes us feel happy and well and I guess in a, a way non-depressed is actually made in the actual gut. So the gut-brain relationship is a very, very important one and it ties in just beautifully to that ensemble of the great benefits that we see in a whole foods plant-based diet. That is actually really fascinating to me, or all of what you said, actually. <laughs> but I mean, the gut serotonin link, because I, I often said, like, I was depressed, like medicated for depression for about 10 years, and a whole food plant-based diet, like, it did, it's like lifting a, a veil off, off your of your mind, of a, a heaviness, a sadness, a, a fog that I felt like I was in for 10 years of my life. And I think lots of people who I speak to, uh, Andrew Spudfit-Taylor um, as well, will talk about, and Nat Natalie McIntosh um, f from Roth raw food for life and that's her, her page anyway they always all talk about you know that that veil lifting off that even even if they're depressed to the point of having suicidal ideation it, it lifting off and i and i never really understood until you you saying that about the serotonin and the and the gut um and it makes so much sense and so yeah thank you for sharing that it's interesting it does, it does. And also recognize that it's often not just one thing that makes people a bit down in the dumps. And, mm, and yeah. uh, it's often a multitude yes. of, of Sorry factors. to simplify that. I know that it's very complicated. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, I, I think what you've just said is, is so relevant and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I echo exactly what you say because it's a multitude of different factors that are, are driving often a depressed state. But if you do think about it, it, it can be that niggling tummy pain. You know, oh, my, my bowels are never just working 100%. That, that gives you one point. You've got a bit of muscle ache. That gives you another point. You've got a bit of joint pain in the morning. Um, you get recurrent UTIs, urinary tract infections. You have the headaches in the morning. Um, your energy levels are a little bit low. It's often these all these factors Pulled that together. by themselves, exactly, by themselves, 
don't necessitate you getting on Facebook and saying, my life's over because I've got joint pain right now. But when you put them all together, they just make you feel quite miserable. It's it's akin to saying waking up and seeing a cloudy sky that's cold versus waking up in the middle of summer. It just puts you off a little bit. And so, yes, medication has a really, really important role to play. Uh, I use a lot of antidepressants when I'm uh, with my patients and I use it because it's very effective. But the reason why people like Andrew Taylor, who's a great friend of mine, I think his story is remarkable. The reason why people like him, I believe, saw such an improvement in their mental wellness was because it wasn't just one thing that was affecting Andrew. It was a multitude of little, little things. And when you when he suddenly changed his diet, his digestion got better. But then also, without probably recognizing it, his muscle aches got better. He had a bit more energy. Oh, he was suddenly sleeping a little bit better. And everything slowly started to work better for him. And so suddenly he had this huge hit. But that was now suddenly being lessened and lessened and lessened. It's like an amplifier. It was suddenly on the maximum volume and it was just slowly being weaned down until it got down to one or two, even to zero. And that's why I think people get rid of their depression in inverted commas. Yes, so true. Because for me, like I've said a billion times on this show, I was depressed, but I also had chronic debilitating constipation. I was in constant pain with fibromyalgia. I was having constant terrifying multiple sclerosis relapses. I was having constant candida outbreaks every single month before my period. And so, like you say, like I hadn't thought about it like that before either, but of course I was depressed. Like it was hard to lift my arm. I couldn't do the dishes without being in chronic pain. I was also, I lost 35 plus kilos. And so carrying that around was causing, you know, aches and pains and those things. So that's fascinating. But I wanted to talk, just go on about, just because I, just from my perspective as a patient, as a patient, I um we're talking about medication and I often say to my friends and they're a bit surprised that I say go I promote going on antidepressants for people because when I went on them for the billionth time when I was just as I was my after my when my brother was dying and after he died and when I was with with MS struggling with with multiple sclerosis I found that it dulled my suffering enough that I could take the steps to change and move out of those, you know, change my diet or change this or change that because I just wasn't debilitated by the suffering. So I often say, I know that, you know, no one likes taking medications. A lot of people don't like taking them. But for me, taking that that medication helped clear up a space enough, like tidying your room, like you were saying, it helped clear a path enough that I could take steps that would lead me to not requiring the medication down the track personally, just personally. For me, I found it a stepping stone forward into a healthier life. And that's fantastic. And that's kind of exactly what I want the message to be out there for so many people. Uh, Again, let's come back back to the analogy of when we're seven years of age and we fell over and grazed our, our leg or probably even a better example is when we cut our our fingers. Our fingers are very sensitive and we don't realize how sensitive they are until we actually cut our finger and we have a little uh, cut or you get a a little thorn in your finger and you realize how important your fingers are because (laughs) suddenly everything you do causes you immense pain. But that's normal. That's the body saying, listen, 
you have got an injury to a very, very important part of your body, and I'm going to make sure, A, it causes you pain so that you keep it um, underutilized so that I can heal it for you. And it's also designed to cause pain because it's not a pleasant experience having an injury to that part of the body. So there's so many reasons why it's normal to feel pain, especially when we go through hardship. The brain is no different. When you experience tremendous hardship, the loss of a sibling, I think it would be, it would be you know, extremely traumatic and very, very, very awful experience for you. Uh, financial hardship social hardship, you know, divorces, breakups, uh, job losses, etc. When we have these kind of hardships, it's, it's in fact normal to become so, so, so upset and underwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed by all this. Because if you remember, having some kind of social connection with others, being married and so forth, is very protective to us as a species, but also to ourselves. Having financial security yields a lot of benefit. Um, having a role in the community yields a benefit. And when these things are taken away from us, it's normal. It's our body's response to say, I'm going to make us feel a little bit sad about the situation because it is, it's protective for us. And it's normal, therefore, to feel down in the dumps with this. Now, as we grieve and we go through changes in life and we try and adapt around these situations, there's a healing process that takes place. Yet for some people, it's very, very important to recognize that we do need to start you on some medication because the medication is like what you said before, like lifting a veil and just sort of dampening down things. I use the analogy of a safety net is that it, imagine like you're at the circus and people are walking on the trapeze, for example. The antidepressants just provide a bit of a safety net for you. It doesn't ever get rid of the depression, but it does dampen it down. It makes you wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay to get up today. I'm still really devastated about X, Y, Z, but I'm just going to get out of bed and I'm going to try and contact my friend and I'm just going to try and get on with life as best as I can. Yet I always keep reinforcing to patients, it's so normal to keep feeling low and down about certain situations. I never want people to expect that when they take antidepressants that they're going to suddenly feel miraculous. And I certainly wouldn't want people to feel that they are somewhat fragile or weak because they feel down in life. Uh, it's a very normal response. It's it's so key for people to understand that who are listening, who may be ha suffering from s mental health conditions like this. This is normal, okay? It's a response to life. It's a response to something taking place in your life that's having a dr dramatic and important effect on you. You're not alone, and sometimes medication will just give you a little bit of an edge. And, of course, you have to then start complexing that with psychology friendship, talking to people. Yet medication is so important. So drugs do help. And I def and and just to add and from what you're saying, I think that the medication I'm not saying that everyone this is this isn't like, you know, you might not need it. But I mean if you feel like for me, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just so sad. It was really debilitating and and impacting upon my life but that medication helped me to have the energy then to go see a counselor to have the energy to, to just the the will to drop in your car can be so hard when you're that down to get to a counselor 
without medication, I found it so difficult. But with a bit of medication, I was like, okay, I can, I, I, I can have the energy to go to make the trip, make the appointment even, make that phone call. All of that can help. And call that friend when you're just like, I just want to be in bed and not get out. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I have no energy left. For me, the medication did help. Obviously, now I feel great. And so if I felt sad now, I, I, I could... You know, it depends. Depends what happens because you know, if, I, if my child lost my child or different things come, like Anthony's saying, that your body has to grieve. It has to. It it just does. Most people get things along the way, stumbling blocks and things that make us feel down. And depending on where you are, there is no. There is no shame in getting extra support, especially if it's going to move you forward in a healthy way to heal well that's a beautiful story green and, and I, you know i'm really so encouraged by what you say in fact i would almost say that it's abnormal if someone comes into my consult room or if, you know not even as a doctor but as a friend i would say it's an abnormal response if someone who's gone through hardship says oh look everything's fine it's all good i'm happy i'm happy i think to myself that's a weird response because you should actually be miserable <laughs> <laughs> And I would expect, therefore, that just like when someone injures their or, or cuts their finger, and they then they then uh, can't uh, use their finger well, with all use of that hand until it heals. Response: Someone who cuts their finger and says, "Right, I'm going to drill in the hammer and start, still go full tong." I'd say that's weird. Why wouldn't you want to restrict the work of that hand until it heals? So, yeah, there's this belief out there that, oh, well, we've got to put on a brave face. But I think it's completely, completely um, on the other side of the spectrum. We should be the, on the opposite. We should be encouraging people to recognize that these responses are normal. You should embrace them. And you, as you said, you seek the support. You know, I get the analogy before about the trapeze artist is that perhaps when the trapeze artist knows that the, the net is below them and it's quite close to them, they then can focus on their performance and they say, right, how have I got to improve my balance? What can I do in, in my practice in the next couple of days so that when the safety net gets taken away, I've gained some tools so that when I do feel a bit jittery, I can still stay standing. And that's exactly what you just talked about, that the medication is there for a purpose to get you to the next step so that you develop the tools. And then you know, you're going to still have hardship in your life, you're still going to go through very, very traumatic experiences. Uh, the hope is that when you still a are able to uh, experience hardship, you're still able to somehow, you know, get through it and do well. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's like you were saying about the multiple sclerosis. Now, I, I just to mention, we talked about George, Professor George Jelinek, a wonderful man, previously in this podcast, but he was on Copaxone himself when throughout his um, diagnosis and after his diagnosis for many years. And he talked about in the retreat, you know, that that Copaxone, you know, whatever whatever you need, the medications for multiple sclerosis, there, as Anthony said, there can be some, there's some great ones out there that can be like that safety net for you while you also incorporate and empower yourself with adding in some nutrition through plant foods. And that's not, you know, that this this podcast isn't anti 
medication because medications, you know, there's so much wonder in Western medicine as far as cesareans and treatments and so many different things we can do to save lives these days. But it's also just about acknowledging that the healing power of plants as well and what we can put into our bodies. Like Anthony says, you know, we're giving ourselves food poisoning and it's about acknowledging that and eliminating those foods that are harming our bodies whilst, you know, having those nets in place. If, if need be, if you need those nets, take the nets, see a doctor, get a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion. <laughs> And look, you know, it's never, ever too late. It really isn't. But what, one of my greatest wins, I talked about this in the speech I gave at Parliament House last year. One of my greatest wins was this elderly Greek man who came and saw me with his granddaughter. And he said to me, look, whilst you're here, whilst I'm here, can you print my scripts for me? And they were the diabetic medication and the high blood pressure tablets and the cholesterol statin medication. And I said to him, look, do you want to talk about getting off this medication? And he did remarkably well. Uh, his name was Con. He just did so brilliantly well. And his motivation was for his granddaughter. But he lost a massive amount of weight. His blood pressure kept falling. Everything went right. And he was a man who, I guess, had come to the conclusion that this is who he was and this is what was going to take place the rest of his life, that I'll be on medication and that's just what life is for me. And he was able to revitalize himself. Now, I didn't stop all his medication, but I certainly reduced a lot of it. And with that came his own um, his own momentum that, wow, I can get better. I can improve. And he certainly felt the effects of that. So, look, it's never, ever too late to start this. You start this at your very next meal. You've got the opportunity three or four times a day to choose which pathway you go down. Do I still keep putting a bit of clothes on the floor in the bedroom? Do I still keep muddying up the room? Or do I choose to maybe to pick up a little bit of the rubbish today and clear it out? When I clean my bedroom, for example, uh, it certainly doesn't get done on the same day. It takes a long time to clear it. <laughs> However, I, I do it slowly. And, you know, you'll tidy up a little bit today. And then tomorrow, you tidy up a little bit more. And you tidy up a little bit more the week after. Because the door isn't being opened and there's not rubbish being poured in three times a day, then slowly but surely the room naturally gets clear. Well, your cells are absolutely no different. If three times a day there's no more junk coming into them, they're able to slowly repair it. And the cell will suddenly start to clear itself up and it feels better and it functions better. So it's never, ever too late and it's so easy. It's the the easiest way to regain a sense of well-being by simply eating good, healthy, nutritious food. Ah, I love that so much. And I think that gives hope to so many people who are listening, who are thinking, oh, you know, but I'm like 65. <laughs> and I've been eating this way forever. So, mum. <laughs> This podcast, this podcast, just from my mum. No one knows this, but I'm. I just episode after episode, nailing her every week. <laughs> have to look after mum. That's the important thing. the the other The other key feature here is um, we don't have to talk about it today, but the idea of low carb, um, high protein diets and paleo, Atkins, South Beach, Florida, all that kind of thing. the The key thing is. Uh, ideal in reality. I don't care what these people do when they get on YouTube and they're 23-year-old bikini models looking fantastic. 
telling you, you know, for $50 a month, I'll tell you how to eat low carb, high fat, high protein. I deal in reality. I see patients in the consult room. I have their results in front of me. And it doesn't matter what is said out there on social media. You know, these foods do you damage when you eat this way. I see the high cholesterol. I see these really, really awful results in patients who look well. Uh, About a year and a half ago, I had a patient who used to ride up and down the Nepean Highway here in Melbourne on his bike. He was very, very fit. He was in his 50s. And he was very slim. He looked well, but he had a massive heart attack. And all he ever did was just eat high-protein meat-based foods. And he and I had had a bit of a disagreement some months beforehand because he tried to tell me that what I was telling other people was wrong. He had a high cholesterol, but he believed in what he was doing. He came and saw me, and we, I guess, revitalized him. He felt so much better eating plant-based foods. And he had a young family. And I said, you've got a second chance now because for some people, as Michael Greger famously says, their first heart attack may be their last. And he had a second chance. But I do really take offense to a lot of people who are trying to get on the low-carb, high-protein. Keto. Yeah, that's all those kind of you know diets because it's not fair. And as I said, I, I see a different side of it. I see the reality. I see the patients having the heart attacks, the patients with the high cholesterol. These guys, these people don't do well. So stick with the evidence. Stick with what people are saying. You know – you don't go to a 23-year-old bikini model for advice. You go to people like yourself. You go to people who have gone through enormous hardship and have done well and have nothing else to gain but by just talking about their, their well-being and how they've revitalized it. You go listen to the people like Andrew Taylor, yourself, Kareen. You go listen to patients like my friend Con who are, for want of a better word, not in the high spotlight but are just what we would call normal folk out there on the street. They have nothing to gain by talking about themselves other than to see good health in people. That's the reality. They're the people who have been able to go through a tremendous disadvantage with their health and they've been able to showcase what can happen when you eat well. They're the re- you guys are the real, real accolades that we need to be having high on our mantelpiece. Oh, thank you. Um, and Andrew is just, his story is so inspiring. And if you haven't heard Andrew's story, Andrew Spudfit Taylor, he's on social media as Andrew Spudfit Taylor. And he's obviously on this podcast as well. I think his episode something, I want to say 13, but I don't think it's 13. Anyway, scroll through, you'll find him and his story about food addiction and mental health and eating 365 days worth of potatoes. He's incredible. And Andrew Taylor, Andrew Taylor's uh, story, you know, it, it, it's a bit of an adrenaline kick for me because I have a lot of um, a lot of interest in seeing people do well and overcome adversity. It's it's an attractive thing to see people do well. And I will never. Uh, I spoke at Andrew's um, New Year's Day event when he broke the 365 day uh, potato diet and. He, I mentioned a comment that when you look at Andrew's very, very first video on day one, and I encourage everyone who doesn't know it or who do, do know Andrew to please go find his very first YouTube video and then watch the 365-day video, and you see a remarkable change in a man. You see a man 
who was so depressed, who looked so unwell, who looked like he was about to climb Mount Everest and he was at the base. And then you see a man at day 365 who was on top of Mount Everest. And in fact, he was on the moon. This guy had done remarkably well. And I only point to that as an example of what can happen in a year. It's never too late. And if we think about where we were a year ago, where you were five years ago, if in one year this guy can change his life so profoundly, then you all can. And many of you will probably see in Andrew's video on day one, you'll see yourselves. You'll see echoes of yourself. You'll see, wow, that's the kind of guy that I see in the mirror in the morning. That way he looks down when he's walking. That's the kind of appearance that I've seen sometimes in myself. I hope that it gives you hope and encouragement to say, well, if he can change, then maybe I can also change and you will change. Yes. And that's the thing. Like it is so you don't believe it because you don't know you can feel better. Like for me, I just thought that the way I was feeling obese, overweight, in pain was the status quo. That was just my life. That was my homeostasis. I just felt like this. But if you're listening and you feel like this, you know, I, I know it's hard to believe that you can feel different, but like I didn't believe it. And I, I still think, oh my gosh, I could never believe I would be like I am now, like a psychopath. <laughs> Last night I was like super excited about how raw bok, bok choy tastes. <laughs> I never thought I'd be the, I'm like, oh my God, I'm making my husband taste this. I haven't even enjoyed it before. Anyway, long story short, you, things become different. <laughs> you become a different person who's excited about bok choy. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I used to love all kinds of – and St. Andrew's is very similar as far as all that type of vegan junk food, those kinds of junk foods. You know, I loved them all. I'm sure that Anthony here can say, love, you know, we all love anything out of a bay-marie. Like we're, our, we're all designed to love anything brown and <laughs> terrible for you. But – um. But you you don't notice how bad you feel. And then within a week, and some people like within a couple of days like on the podcast alone, they'll say within a couple of days that food poisoning starts to heal. And you're like, wow, I did not know. Firstly, the different foods, foods that I never liked taste, suddenly taste, my taste buds change. My mouth feels different. My head feels less foggy. Just little bits. You start going to the toilet like and enjoying going to the toilet because it's not a nightmare. <laughs> exactly, exactly, Corinne. That's so important. And it, it this doesn't take long. <clears throat> you, as, as, as you just said, you'll see the effects within one or two days. And <clears throat> I, I always say to my patients, just give me a couple of days. You've got nothing to lose. They feel remarkable. Good health is so, so, so attractive. It is. We, yeah. we pursue it. And when it becomes so easy, it's just simply what we have to put in our mouths. It's such a nice thing to do. You know, people some uh, may be asking themselves, well, where do we go to from here? Look, I, I think one of the important things to do, first of all, just Google John McDougall, Neil Bernard, Caldwell Esselstyn. Go watch their videos. Go watch their videos because these guys explain things like I have, but they also will showcase some examples. We all love weight loss pictures. Yes. We all love yes. before. We all love before and after pictures. That they'll showcase you some examples of the effects that they've seen in their patients. Um, Jeff Novak, I think, is a very underrated guide. J e f f n o v a k. Jeff Novak. He's a quirky, funny American uh, scientist. 
Um, he speaks sometimes at the McDougal Advanced Weekends and some of the plant-based meetings. Uh, he's a really great guy. His lectures, I think, are extremely beneficial because he showcases some of the food addiction qualities that people don't uh, understand and also about energy density of foods mm. and why, although we think we're doing the right thing, well, why can't I lose weight? Why can't I feel better? He, he, he explains that to us in such an easy way about why, for example, olive oil um, is so energy rich and why it causes so much damage versus, say, having an olive or having a piece of bread. And he explains energy de density. But, you know, if you Google these people, John McDougall, Corval Esselstyn, Neil Bernard, um, Michael Greger, if you watch T. Colin Campbell, T. Colin Campbell, they have nothing to gain. They are not going to gain anything by converting you to a whole foods plant-based diet. I'm not going to I'm not going to gain anything. I'm, I'm not, not going to gain anything. <laughs> anything. We are just doing this because we would be we would be almost having sleepless nights if we didn't shout this from the rooftops because we know it's so beneficial. Uh, and I encourage people just to seek it out and that it's never, ever too late. I every, every, Most people on this show talk about, as they I normally have three tips that people give people who are wanting to make the switch. And what you're saying now, education, research, going, that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. You know, the more you listen to this episode, you listen to Anthony and you're like, oh, yes, but I don't know where to begin begin by looking them up. Look up all the doctors that Anthony's just said. They're, they're incredible, knowledgeable. This has been their lifetime's work for, for many of them. Dr. Bernard, Dr. Campbell, Dr. McDougall, Dr. Gregor. There are so many. And Dr. Dr. Gregor's website, nutritionfacts.org, has just got so much. Dr. Doug Lyle, Jeff Novak. There's so much there. And once you go in the rabbit hole, you come out very annoying to your family, but <laughs> but very good for your own health and your commitment to this way of eating, even though, as I said, your family will find you very annoying for a little while and friends. They'll also find, yeah, they'll also find you very attractive. They will. Because you'll, look, uh, you'll radiate positivity, you'll feel better, and, and that's very seductive to us all. We all want to look feel better. And eventually you get to them like erosion. That's what happens to my family. <laughs> Slowly they're changing the ways that they eat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. And, and you know, people will feel better. You know, I, I guess if I had to sort of give quick, three quick tips about, you know, where people would go from here, uh, again, I would talk about the idea of seeking out those health professionals. You know, my, my, my father said a really beautiful thing to me last night. We were talking about a few things and he said to me, learn from my mistakes, Ants. Learn from my mistakes. He said, you know, Ants, I've done, I've done things in life that I, I didn't know how to navigate. You know, I didn't know how to bush bash my way through certain uh, aspects of life. So I'm now going to impart all those years of experience, ups and downs to you so that you have a better map to guide yourself through. And as what Kareem was just saying then, you know, these guys in the United States um, have done so much research over so many years. And let's never forget that T. Colin Campbell initially started out with the belief that protein, especially from animals, was a very good thing, that it was the key nutrient, key macronutrient that was required for sustainability of good health. And of course, that was his pole position. And that changed uh, drastically as the research came in. 
we don't have to do that research anymore. We know that, that the evidence is there. So let's learn from these guys who have made the efforts. Um, Dean Ornish is another hero of mine. Dean Ornish encouraged me as a medical student to do a research project at the Alfred in 2003. I called it the MPM program, uh, Metabolic Physical Mental Program. I took patients having heart surgery. I gave them some classical music, some, I did some meditation with them and gave them some antioxidants and vitamins. I wish back then I'd incorporated uh, healthy eating, but we, I did that because Dean Orner had already done the hard yards of whether or not this is helpful for good well-being. Mm. And I used that. I, I stood on his shoulders. I think Thomas Edison famously said, if I stand tall, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And I think everyone here should be doing the same thing. Let's utilize these people. And, you know, it gives them credit. It gives them a sense of completeness when they say, all my hard work, all my effort over my life is now being utilized by you, the general public, because you're going forth and feeling better. Uh, it's a, it's like a very holistic way of looking at our life's purpose. Definitely, definitely. And I, and, and for, for me, that's been getting MS, as I said, in a billion episodes. Well, a billion. I've only got 33. <laughs> to stretch. But every episode, um, there'll be a billion. Don't worry. I'm just planning into the future. Keep going. We need to keep hearing your story, Corinne, because it's important. And, uh, you know, it's very... It's, it's a great testament. I, I can only do so much. I can stand up as a medical professional and encourage people to do this, but I do really think the real power of uh, the movement towards a healthier society is going to be led by people like you and Andrew Taylor, uh, who are the real, real, um, the real heroes and the real benefits of, benefactors of this uh, movement. Oh, thank you. But I, yeah, as I was, yeah, thank you. But I think that for Andrew and I, and I know from Andrew and I, and I've met so many people on this podcast now and, and just in my journey who have, who have changed their diet to this and are so intensely passionate about it, that, that the disease and the illness, it feels like a gift to us because, We've learned so much from, like you say, like we learn from, learn from the mistakes. We've learned so much from our mistakes and from our ill health. And we feel such an intense sense of obligation, a sense of duty to share this message because we just think if we can help one person, one person to feel better and, and make a change like we have, then, you know, I can go to, to my grave feeling like I've achieved something wonderful. It's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing as a doctor when you see people do well and you see your patients feeling better. Uh, the, the highlight of my career is when I see the young kids that come in and they, they are remarkably different from one day to the next, that they've rebounded, they're running around the room, whereas yesterday they were in their mum's arms. It's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. But uh, when I look at my chronic disease patients, when I do see the one or two patients who do lose the weight, who do suddenly start to feel better. Uh, it's a really, really rewarding, rewarding thing in life. And the great thing is you don't have to be a doctor to do any of this. You guys can go forth and do this. You can be Dr. Corrine. You can be going forth, <laughs> and, you know, spreading the wealth there. And the great, the great thing is that, you know, Corrine, you'll see this result. You'll have, I'm sure, testimonials from people who will write to you and say, look, because of what you've done, I've changed my life around and we, we can all be 
uh, on that platform broadcasting this, which is which is terrific. Which is, thank you. And I'm so I you know I. I love that you're out there doing this work for people. And I have two last things. One is, I don't know if you did your third tip. And the other is, tell people how they can find you and work with you. So, uh, look, my, my three quick tips for where we would start with, with all this is, as I said, please do um, Google, as I said, John McDougall, Caldwell Esselstyn, Neil Bernard. At Neil Bernard's website, pcrm.org, stands for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, a wealth of resources. They have uh, an John app Mc- now, an app. <laughs> they do, they do the PCRM app. And uh, Neil Bernard also has the 21-Day Vegan Kickstarter app as well. Uh, please look at that. Please look at John McDougall's website because he has a lot of information and great newsletters for people. So that's number one, just research those key people. Um, number two Understand that for some people, incorporating this kind of way of eating can be quite challenging initially. So do do some research. But the simplistic nature of it is starch is good. Whole foods. What do we mean by whole foods? We mean potatoes, pumpkin, corn, uh, fruit, uh, chickpeas, lentils, um, all these great foods. Start incorporating them into your way of eating. And the third tip I would say is that please try and neglect the oil as much as possible. At the start, I talked about the idea the body will retain very high energy-rich foods. Olive oil is not a natural product. Olive oil is a byproduct. It takes around about 40 olives to produce one teaspoon of olive oil. If I was to get you to have 40 olives, you couldn't fit more than 15 in your stomach before you become full. Yet to pour one little teaspoon of olive oil on your salad, you wouldn't even know it was there. Um, It's very, very energy rich. Please neglect it. It's often sometimes the difference between why people do well and they don't do well is the olive oil. If we start to get that out of our diet and we realize that starch has been demonized because of the olive oil. People demonize starch because of the uh, fried chips and the fried food. It's the oil itself that's caused the problem, not the actual whole foods. Definitely. I love those tips. And I think that your explanation of why, of olive oil and, you know, like the mouthful of, like, how many olives was it, 40? Yeah, it's about 40 olives will we'll produce one teaspoon of olive oil. Now, again, if I said to you, just take one teaspoon of olive oil, pop it in your mouth and swallow it, you wouldn't feel, you wouldn't feel any different. Yet you've, you've actually ingested an enormous amount of energy that is very easy and it's fat. It's pure fat. Yes. The body will retain it as fat and it will incorporate it into those cells. The cell door will open just like the bedroom door mm. and in goes the olive oil. In goes that yes. to the cell. And I don't, I don't know. Look, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Dr. Kim Williams and Dr. Michael Klepper, if I, who I'm confusing, but one of them had these slides at the recent Nutrition in Medicine Symposium of test tubes of blood with That's oil. Michael Klepper. Michael, yeah, Michael Klepper. Klepper. I thought it was. I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. And he says, like the room, now I'm seeing the, the, that analogy to me is going to stay with me forever, this bedroom idea, because it's such a good analogy. But the test tubes, he's saying that, you know, you put the fat in, like the olive oil in your mouth, and your room's now messy, yeah, and you, in, the, in the vials of blood that he shows, that blood is just so murky and cloudy and full of fat. And he's saying, you know, four, four hours later, if you then go and 
just you've been fasting for four hours, you haven't been snacking on junk, your blood's clear again, but it takes four hours to clean that room again. And most of us then go on to then have a cheeseburger and some fries and we just keep putting more shit into our rooms <laughs> and then trying to slam the door shut and we can't. <laughs> and, and look, unfortunately, it didn't magically evaporate. The, the fat no. that was in the blood didn't suddenly disappear yes. into the iCloud. What it did was it was in the arterial systems. It was on the roads. And just like traffic, just when you've got cars on a freeway, the cars don't magically evaporate overnight. They go into the homes. They drive into the driveways. But what happens to the fat? The fat that's in the blood, it doesn't suddenly evaporate. It just goes where the into the cells because the cells are all lining the arteries. And, of course, those arteries um, lead to organs. And so the fat just disappears but it stays in the body and it goes straight into the cells. Just like cars driving into a driveway, into a house, the fat goes into the cells and that's when it accumulates. Oh, and you don't want the fat to drive into your home. You just don't. You don't because unfortunately it, it clogs it up and it just stays there and stays there and stays there. And again, you get out of the car, you know, as I said, we keep using the analogy of the bedroom. It's a beautiful analogy. You open your bedroom door, you can't find what you're looking for, you're late for appointments because you couldn't get things organized. Well, when you microscopically take that analogy into your body, your body's no different. It can't function as well. Yet it's so beautiful that by simply simply eating the right foods, those whole foods, plant-based foods, Google the world, the word whole foods, plant-based foods, and you'll get a lot of information. There's great YouTube videos out there as well about cooking and preparing a lot of meals as well. Um, in, incorporate them. Uh, I, I love cooking now. I do a lot of my own cooking. I cook some really beautiful meals. It's a wonderful thing to, to spend an hour or two when you can to prepare a meal and to share it with people. That's, it's lovely. That's so true. I could actually, and I say this every week, but I could actually talk to you for ages and I think you're going to have to come on back on the show because like, I'm just thinking of all these extra questions I want to ask you but realising we've just gone way over time. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, thank you so much for everything you've shared so far, is just where can people find you, follow you? You mentioned your website, living... Livinglongertoday.com. Uh, it's a free website. I... I Look, I unfortunately, I'm a very, very busy guy these days with some non-medical stuff, so I don't have a lot of time to uh, update the site, but I promise you I do from time to time, and I'll definitely put a link up for this interview when it comes out. But on that website, I've got a few, um, uh, a few interviews I've done, one with Michael Clapper, uh, also a speech, and also that resources section. Uh, the website is also about mental well-being, and so I do link to Alain de Bouton, um, who's a British or Swiss-born author, a lovely man. I've met him a few times, and Elaine talks a lot about living well, and I think that's an important point. Uh, so they can find me at that site. Um, I work only part-time as a GP. Um, I work in the southern suburbs of Melbourne, but I also have an Instagram account at Dr. Ants Plants, D-R-A-N-T-S-P-L-A-N-T-S, Dr. Ants Plants. Uh, but look, I... I just will close by saying that I'm a typical standard human being. I'm nothing spectacular and I certainly, you know, do um, do sometimes eat the bad vegan food. I do sometimes uh, have the odd drink here and there, but that's because I'm a human being and that's because I want to enjoy life and I'm not going to certainly 
prophesize to the world that you need to drink water and eat tofu for the rest of your life and put yourself into a cave. We need to enjoy our life. We need to certainly enrich it with so much. Absolutely. And so, you know, don't feel that you have to suddenly uh, acquire all these guidelines and rules and live by them. I break them myself. I break them because if I go out with friends, I want to enjoy myself. And I'll say, I'll have a bad night tonight. I'll, I'll have a few bad vegan foods. But that's okay because I'm gaining so much from being out with my friends and exactly. having a nice time. So please keep the faith and just have fun in life and try and have as much happiness as you can. We're here for such a short time. We all want to have, we all want to have a, nice, uh, a nice life. It's so unfair that um, sometimes we, we, we see friends and family who live a life of hardship, and we only get one chance, I think. So certainly make, make it the best you can. I'm going to end on that note because I love that message. Thank you so much, Dr. Anthony. Been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to do it again with you sometime. Thank you so much. Anthony for coming on the show and thank you all for listening. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I put out new episodes every Sunday slash Monday and you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher app for Android. Also, you can follow this page. If you haven't yet, you can follow it over at Facebook, the When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan Facebook page where I put all the latest updates, interviews, excitement, anything coming up and the latest episodes, of course. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, if you could take the time to leave a five-star rating and a kind review, It helps me so much in sharing this message with more people across the world who may be living with chronic disease and not knowing what to do with themselves. This podcast was created to help everyone who is living with chronic disease to feel better or at least if it doesn't like heal them and help them recover, at least probably give them more energy or help them to just feel better, have maybe less mental fog, have maybe lose some weight that they might be carrying that might be impacting on their health. I just really want this podcast to reach people who need it. So if you leave a five-star rating and a kind review, it helps this message get out more because without the ratings and the reviews, less people can find this podcast and less people can get the benefit of the messages of these amazing people and their stories and the amazing doctors and their research and work. So please, 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 it would mean so much to me if you could help. Thank you so much for listening and next week is going to be an amazing recovery story with an incredible woman named Rebecca who has overcome Hashimoto's thyroid disease along with multiple sclerosis as a raw fruitarian. So please check that out, especially if you have vegetarian friends or junk food vegan friends because Rebecca's story is coming from that place. She was a vegetarian for many, many years and then a typical kind of vegan diet with lots of gourmet vegan foods and cheeses and fake meats and all those kinds of delicious things that aren't that great for our health. So yes, if you have someone in your life who's like, but I'm vegan anyway, (laughs) or I'm already vegetarian, being vegan isn't enough. Being vegetarian isn't enough. And Rebecca's story can really help us to understand, you know, the difference in healing as far as that goes, as far as diet goes. You know, being vegetarian and vegan is great, but you're still eating eggs, cheese, junk food, processed foods, those kinds of things which our body still treats as not not optimal <laughs> and keeps us in a state of dis-ease. So, yes, that's next week. So listen out for that. Subscribe so that you don't miss it and leave a kind review and a rating and 
I will be your best friend. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Bye.